0: If you're in uh, Ezekiel 34, you can stay there. If you're not, you might want to flip back over there again because that's where we're going to start this morning. Uh, Last spring, well, this spring, I guess it was, feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? Pre-COVID, this past spring in the Sunday afternoon services, Uh, I reprised a part of a series that I had done a couple of years before, maybe a year or so before, on authority in the church. And then in March of this past spring, I uh, began to summarize that series in the Sunday morning services. And then we were so rudely interrupted by uh, COVID-19. But what I'd like to do this morning and, and probably next Lord's Day as well is pick up that once again here in our morning services and begin to point a way forward for us in, uh, in that whole study. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the ministry of pastors. The ministry of pastors. That is the title that I bear here in this congregation and it's actually maybe surprising to a lot of people to learn that that term is not used in our Bible, um, in in the ESV translation anyway. Um, in fact, it's uh, kind of a carryover, I guess you would say, from the Latin Bible that uh, was used many for many years uh, by many churches. And the term pastor just was the term that was uh, used to translate uh, uh, the word shepherd. So that's the idea behind this term. A pastor is a shepherd. And we even today we talk about something that's pastoral and it um, brings an association of the countryside and someone who takes care of animals, you know, a very pastoral scene. And that's the image, that's one of three images that's used, three terms that are used in the New Testament to describe the office of the church's spiritual leadership. And so I want to come back to that theme again of spiritual leadership and really touch on this idea of, uh, of the terms or the images that are used, uh, to describe the leadership of the church. And one of those terms is the term shepherd. A church is led by shepherds, or to say it with the old term, by pastors. You see this uh, used in Ephesians chapter 4, where uh, Paul talks about the gifts that the, the ascended Christ gives to his church. And some of the gifts include apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. That word shepherds is the word for pastors. He gives to his church pastors and teachers for equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So as we begin to think about additional pastors for North Houston Baptist Church, I want to help us to think about what a pastor's role is. And you might say it this way, that a pastor does for a church what a shepherd does for his flock. Because it's a theme, it's a parallel, it's an image that's used not just in one place, but again and again and again throughout the Scriptures. That the people of God are like God's flock and that they need to be cared for uh, by a good shepherd. So a pastor does for a church what a shepherd, a good shepherd, does for his sheep. Now, in Ezekiel 34, the text that we read a few minutes ago, God addresses Israel's spiritual shepherds, and the situation with them was that they had utterly failed to be the kinds of good shepherds of God's people that they were supposed to be. But by contrast to them, we can see what a good shepherd should look like, what a good pastor should exemplify. And so that's what I'd like to do and and take a look at this text for a moment. Um, I think there are six things, six ways that a pastor cares for the flock in a way that, uh, or cares for a church in the way that a shepherd cares for a flock. First, and primarily, he leads them to food and water. The shepherd's job is first of all to feed the flock, to feed the flock. You see that in verses uh, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, so-called shepherds, you who have been feeding yourselves. And of course, you see the imagery carried out. He said you, you slaughter the fat ones. You make meals out of the sheep. You gather the wool from them and keep yourself nice and warm and comfortable you're using the flock for your own benefit, but you're not doing the one fundamental thing that a shepherd is supposed to do. And that is to feed the flock. That's right. Pastors are called first and foremost to feed the flock of God. And they feed the flock with the one thing that can sustain us. And that is the very Word of God. Pastors, first primary concern is to make known the Word of God to the people who come every week hungry for the bread of life from God's hand, from God's mouth. Pastors feed the flock with the food of the Word. You know, a pastor is kind of like like a chef in a way to shift the metaphor a little bit. He tries to prepare for the flock each week, a tasty, hopefully tasty, uh, but more importantly, nutritious and well-balanced meal, including instruction and exhortation and doctrine and application and correction and warning and encouragement and all of the things that the Word of God is meant to do are woven together and a pastor leads the flock to what God has already prepared. The, you know, the shepherd doesn't grow the grass. He doesn't make the streams run. The Lord Himself provides these things, but the shepherd leads the flock to where the grass is green and to where the water is gentle so that they can get in and be fed and be nourished. And that's what a pastor does. And the number one criteria to look for in a pastor is a man who knows the Word, who knows the Scripture, and who is able to communicate the Word of God in public or in private, but someone who is seeped in the Scriptures, who's read through the Bible, who's familiar with the doctrine of the Word of God, and is able to feed us spiritually. That's the primary calling of the pastor. But there are many other things that a pastor does in connection with that ministry of the word. And so secondly, a pastor protects. A pastor protects the flock. Or a shepherd, I should say, protects the flock from wolves and other you know, baddies out there. Um, and of course, you see that in this text. And in this case, because of the failure of Israel's shepherds, we read in verse 5 that the middle of the verse, that the flock of Israel became food for all the wild beasts because the shepherds weren't on guard because they weren't watching out for the dangers to the flock. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warns the pastors there that quote-unquote wolves would come in and harass the flock. And he warns them to be on guard, to watch out for that. To send out the warning so that the sheep can recognize the wolves. Titus chapter 1, verse 9, one of the requirements for pastors is that they are able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. Pastors need to be able to identify threats to the church and to demonstrate the contradiction between false teaching and the Word of God in a way that's transparent to the flock. This is part of the ministry that pastors have, sounding the alarm and helping the flock to recognize false teaching. Thirdly, pastors or shepherds with regard to their flocks, shepherds seek to restore wayward sheep. They seek to restore wayward sheep. You see in verse 4 of Ezekiel that the shepherds of Israel were indicted. Verse 4, the middle of the verse, the strayed you have not brought back, he says. You didn't go after those who were wandering away. Uh, And so at the end of verse 5, he says, my sheep were scattered. And verse 6, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered with none to search or seek for them. They were all over the face of the earth. Nobody was looking for them. Nobody was seeking after those who wandered away from the flock. And pastors watch out for those who are wandering. They seek to bring them back to following Christ. That's part of what pastors are called to do. Number four, pastors bind up injuries and strengthen and take care of the weak and sickly sheep. Any good shepherd takes care of his flock. He doesn't let disease run rampant. And so it is with a church that a pastor looks out for those who are struggling, for those who are weak, for those who are sickly. And again, you see in verse four that Israel's shepherds failed to do exactly this. The weak you have not strengthened; the injured you have, uh, excuse me, the, the sick you have not healed; the injured you have not bound up. And so God condemns those quote unquote spiritual shepherds. But true pastors require uh, it requires knowledge and skill in the word and care and concern for the flock. Pastors counsel and advise those in the congregation who are struggling spiritually. Not because pastors are perfect people, but because they themselves have known what it is to struggle and to see the Word of God have an effect, a good effect in them. And they take that word and with care and concern and skill, they apply that word to the lives of those who will hear. They are patient with those who are struggling. They have great concern for those who are weak. They seek out and they help and strengthen the weak. Number five, what else does a shepherd do for his flock? Well, he seeks out the sheep that are completely lost from the flock. Uh, the middle of verse 4, the shepherds of Israel are chided because the lost you have not sought. And in contrast to that, if you look down at verse 11, the Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Remember the story Jesus told about the good Shepherd who leaves the 99 to go out and search for the one lost sheep. Jesus himself was our good shepherd, right? Who went and searched for those who were lost. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And there are people who are truly sheep in the sense that they ultimately will recognize the Savior. But right now, they're not part of the flock. Right now, they're lost. They're yet to hear the Savior's voice calling them to Himself. So Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 16, I have have other sheep that are not part of this flock. I do have other sheep, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to My voice. So good pastors follow their chief shepherd, in seeking and evangelizing the lost. And then finally, number six, a pastor does all of this out of genuine love and concern for the flock. Not out of a desire to put himself forward, but out of genuine love and concern for the flock. And you see, again, in this text, verse four, that these so-called shepherds of Israel were chided just along this line. He said, with force and harshness, you have ruled them. You haven't served the flock. You've ruled the flock. And you haven't ruled or led with grace and love and true concern. You have led with force and harshness. In uh, First Peter, Peter warns elders along this exact line. In fact, let's turn there because I think... We're going to, uh, we'll shift our attention there and that'll lead into the next couple things that I want to say. 1 Peter chapter 5, if you would flip over there. 1 Peter 5. If you're using a house Bible, it's page 1016. 1 Peter 5. Remember that, that a shepherd loves the flock. He has true and genuine concern for the sheep. And... Peter said to the elders in in the church that they should shepherd the flock. This is verse 1. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, right? Remember the shepherds that just were, were eating the fat and wearing the wool and using the wool? He says, don't do it just for... Uh, for gain, not for shameful gain, but eagerly and not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering. You know, there are times when pastors domineer flocks. Pastors domineer flocks by force of their personality or by bear appeal to the authority of their office. They lead the people of God, or supposedly lead the people of God, with force and harshness. A pastor's authority doesn't come merely from his personality or from his office. A pastor's authority is always a derived authority. That is, it is derived from the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews tells all of us to be subject to our leaders in the context of the local church, but here's the way he describes the leaders. That is those who have preached to you, who have proclaimed to you the word of God. Because you see what we are all bound to, ultimately, every one of us, congregation members and leadership, all of us are bound to the Word of God. That has to sit in authority judging all of us. So a pastor doesn't domineer the flock, but with love and true concern, he preaches the Word carefully to himself and to the people. His authority comes from the Word and it comes from his example. You see that in verse 2, right? He says, don't domineer the flock. Don't, don't um, um, uh, Don't hold it over them. But rather, he says, you should be examples to the flock. A pastor should be an example. And you know, no pastor is perfect. Maybe you've already figured that out. No pastor is perfect. But pastors should be growing in grace, in an exemplary way. And he leads with his life, with his marriage and his family, with his growth and sanctification and his love for Christ. These are the ways that a shepherd leads his flock. These are the ways that a pastor leads a congregation. He feeds, he protects, he restores those who are weak strengthens. He seeks out the lost and he loves all of them. If a church has good shepherds, then a church is blessed indeed because earthly pastors are no more than humble servants of the one true shepherd. In fact, we're told in verse 4 of this text right in front of you, 1 Peter 5, that when the Chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is only one flock and there's really only one true shepherd. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And any good pastor that the Lord God gives us is a gracious extension of the shepherding of our one true pastor, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ezekiel, uh, back to Ezekiel, he says uh, in verse thirty, uh, in verse fifteen, the Lord says to the people of Israel, "I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down." Declares the Lord God. Right. So the Lord Himself is the shepherd of His pe- of His people. He goes on to say, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Oh, what a sweet thing it is to be sought and to be found by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, the one true shepherd, the one good and perfect pastor. You know, the way it is is that in a sense, the world of people are... Supposed to be the sheep of God. But the truth is, the Bible says that all we, like sheep, have what? Gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The sad truth is that all of us are lost from God, sinners by nature, rebels by choice against the God who made us and who gave us everything good that we enjoy. But God sent to us a shepherd. Amen? He sent to us a good shepherd who laid down His life for His sheep. And the shepherd became the sacrificial lamb so that you might be brought into the true flock of God, that you might become one of God's people a part of the flock that He loves, that He cares for, that He lives among. The Lord Jesus Christ is our great shepherd. And it is my hope and prayer that you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your true shepherd, as your true pastor, the shepherd and pastor of your soul, as the Scripture says. There is no sweeter thing Well, there are two other images in the New Testament that help to fill out this picture of what spiritual leadership looks like in the context of the local church. The second term or the second image that's used is the term overseer. So pastor, overseer. And you see this actually in the text that we're in, 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 2. And you actually see the verb form. Uh, shepherd the flock of God, he says, that is among you, exercising oversight. There it is. The noun form is used in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, when Paul says that he's writing, quote, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So there are three entities in any local church, right? There are the saints, those who have been made holy by union with Christ, the congregation. There are the deacons, the servants of the church, commissioned by the church to do its work. And there are the overseers, which is another title for her pastors. Now, some of you know that the older versions of the Bible use the term bishop sometimes to translate this uh, term overseer, a bishop but bishop to us implies an authority that is over pastors and priests or whatever. Um, The biblical evidence indicates that these are not separate offices but are interchangeable titles for the same role within the church. They can be uh, referred to these spiritual leaders as as, uh, pastors, or you can refer to them, on the other hand, as overseers. The image here is of a supervisor, of a supervisor. Everybody has a supervisor at work, or maybe you are a supervisor and you supervise other people. In fact, the term supervisor comes from the same basic etymology as overseer. So think about your supervisor or what it means to be a supervisor, and you get some image of what it's like for pastors or um, overseers to do their work in a congregation. Being a supervisor implies two things, at least. Number one, supervisors should be characterized by attention, notice, concern for what's going on. Most fundamental of all, overseers see. They pay attention, right? They know what's going on. If you get to... Uh, your work and the overseer or the supervisor has no idea what's going on in your department, then you're in bad shape. And so it is with a church where a pastor is not paying attention, where the pastors are not looking out for the flock in which they've been placed. And if we would look for pastors, we must look for men who take notice of the people of God who take notice of the needs within the congregation. You know, there's an Old Testament proverb. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Well, here's the New Testament parallel in the context of the local church. Acts 20, verse 28. Paul says to the elders in Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Just like the shepherd needs to pay attention to every single one of the sheep and and, and take notice of how many sheep he has and, and what the general health of the flock is and what the needs of each individual are, so a good overseer pays attention to the flock in which God has placed him. He takes notice. He sees. He looks. He has a concern for those who are in His sphere of ministry. That's number one. Number two, an overseer or a supervisor. The uh, calling to that also implies responsibility or accountability. You think about that in terms of your workplace. Your supervisor is accountable for all those under his purview in his department or whatever. He's going to have to give an answer for, for the, uh, what's happening in, in, among those people. And so the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 17, he tells us, look at this, obey your leaders and submit to them because they're keeping watch over your souls. There's that idea of being overseers. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pastors are accountable for the members of their congregation, accountable to God Almighty, accountable to give an answer in the day of judgment for the exercise of their ministry among those people the faithful exercise of that ministry and especially for their attention or lack of attention to those in their care. And I tell you that's probably the most weighty and sobering thing that, uh, that I think about in terms of uh, my ministry here among you. That one day every pastor will give an account of the spiritual health and well-being of scores of other people. And that should, on the one hand, I think, sober someone who is thinking about pastoral ministry. Uh, In the 18th century, there was a Scottish minister, John Brown, who wrote a letter to uh, another younger minister, and he said in the letter, I know the vanity of your heart that you will feel mortified that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you. But he said, Assure yourself on the word of an old man that when the time comes for you to give an account of them to the Lord Christ at his judgment seat, you will think you have had enough. (laughs) It is a sobering thing. Pastors are called to be accountable, to be responsible for the flock under their care. But if Christ and if his church should call you to this holy calling, then his grace will be sufficient. And that's the only way any pastor can ever have anything like hope in the carrying out of his calling is that God Himself is sufficient. Paul confessed this. The great apostle, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it's not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. He said, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Every one of us, would be utterly and completely overwhelmed and depressed if we didn't believe in the sustaining grace of God to do our callings as we should. And that's true for every husband. You look back and think, oh, I could have been such a better husband. I should be such a better husband. Or a parent, a mother with her children, or a pastor with his flock but the grace of God is sufficient. His grace puts our sins behind us and gives us the transforming power to go and continue to serve to a greater degree. Pastors, overseers, there's one more term, one more image that the Bible gives to sketch out what a spiritual leaders' uh, life will look like. And it's the way that Peter begins this address. If you're still in 1 Peter 5, look at verse 1 again. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So here's another term used interchangeably to help us understand what church leadership looks like. Church leaders are elders. This is not hard to figure out. An elder is an older person, right? That's it. And in the Old Testament, of course, the oldest clan members would be the leadership for that tribe. But the New Covenant assembly is not about physical lineage. It's about spiritual birth. It's not about physical age. It's about spiritual maturity. And while those often go together, they don't always... I've found in my years of ministry, watching people come and go, that people mature spiritually at different rates. Rates that are not always coordinate with their maturity physically. <laughs> I've seen some very young people who were spiritually old beyond their years. And I've seen, sad to say, older people who didn't seem very spiritually mature. What we're talking about here really is spiritual eldership. Paul, in fact, spoke to Elder Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and said, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in Speech and conduct, and love, and faith, and in purity. Church leaders may not necessarily be the oldest of men in the congregation, but they should be some of the most spiritually mature. I've been pastoring this church now for 20 years this year, and through the years, not only in this congregation, but just looking around more broadly, I've seen very zealous, idealistic Christian young men who are eager to rise to spiritual leadership. And having a desire for that is a good thing. It's a good thing. The Bible tells us that. But on occasion, there is zeal that is not according to knowledge or there is eagerness, but without a real stability that's going to enable that man to pastor long-term. Church, I want to admonish us not to be too quick to ordain a man just because he's eager. Calling a pastor an elder means that he exhibits Wisdom and stability and perseverance characterizes his Christian life. He is becoming an example that we'd all wish that we could follow. And with some guys, you can see this even when he is fairly young. He is really older than his years. Other times... The pastors of the church are her elder statesmen. Men who have already faithfully raised their families, who have a a proven track record of growth in godliness, who have great wisdom in the word by many years of thoughtful reflection. But in either case, regardless of the actual age physically, these are men that we can look up to as older brothers in the faith or even fathers in our faith. Elders are not perfect, but they are hopefully a little further down the road and turning around and saying, hey, follow me as I follow Christ who is our one and only true shepherd. Each of these terms, okay, so we've talked about elders or we've talked about pastors and we've talked about elders, we've talked about overseers. Each of these terms pictures some characteristics of the church's spiritual leaders. As pastors, spiritual leaders feed and care for and protect the flock. As overseers, they give attention and will give an account. And as elders, they share their wisdom and become examples for the people of God. But we also see in the scriptures that they lead the church together. They lead the church as a team. In other words, New Testament churches were characterized by a plurality of godly leaders. And you can see that among other places, and I've, I've taken the time to do this in the past and to lay the groundwork for this, but let me just give you one verse from Acts chapter 14. We read there that Paul and Barnabas were making their way back to some of the cities that they had established churches in, and it says that when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples that they had led to the Lord previously. And they encouraged them to continue in the faith and said that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here is the example that's found in a number of places in the New Testament. That is, that each congregation was established with multiple pastors or elders. Each town had their church. Each church had their elders. There is no biblical requirement that every pastor has to be seminary trained. Though, in fact, the Bible does teach us that a man should be well grounded in the Word and in sound doctrine. There is no biblical requirement that every single pastor be fully financially supported by the church. That is a full-time minister. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 5 seems to make allowance for just such a distinction between Elders who are fully supported by the church, so set apart from making a living doing something else throughout the week in order to prepare for the Lord's Day worship, and then other elders who are not so fully supported. I want to put to you an admonition to pray to pray that God would identify men that He is calling to the work of accountable spiritual leadership in our midst. I've asked you this before, and I'm asking you again, to look for such men. To look for men who the Lord may be calling to help me to share the burden of leadership, and to cause the ministry of the pastoral ministry here to be further effective, much more than it, than it is. Look for men who are the most knowledgeable in the Word, because the Word is everything to us. Amen? Look for men who are able to communicate truth clearly and effectively. Look for men who are paying attention to the flock, who notice the needs in our midst. Look for men who are able to help us carefully make distinctions between truth and error. Not in a knee-jerk reaction sort of way, but in a thoughtful, careful, biblical manner. Look for men who are characterized by genuine care and concern for this body. Look for men who are able to strengthen and restore vulnerable brothers and sisters, those who are weak, those who are struggling, those who have fallen into sin. Look for men who are endeavoring to lead the lost to Christ. And look for men who are characterized by spiritual maturity and wisdom and perseverance and stability. And if we measure those standards that I've just given you with faith and with grace, um, then perhaps the Lord will identify one or two other men in our assembly in the days and weeks and months to come that the Lord would have to pastor in this flock. If we measure on an absolute scale, well, I don't think there's anybody who should be your pastor, including this guy. But if we measure with faith and hope and confidence that what God has begun, He will finish, He may well identify as we recognize recognize the seeds of what God is making that man into. I'm going to ask you in a few weeks, Lord willing, to recommend to me some men that you believe that God may be calling to shepherd us. Um, I've hopefully been preparing you for this for a while. I know we're only kind of coming back into it but I'm going to ask you over the next few weeks to think about this, to pray about this earnestly once again. And I recognize this is a hard time because we're still a little bit divided and we're not all together and sometimes those who are more vulnerable are still not able to be with us, but I'm looking for church members to make recommendations for several men to join me in a leadership study group study with me over the next few months. And then perhaps out of that group, the Lord would call one or two of those men to help shepherd this flock under the Lord Jesus Christ. But in closing, I want you to remember this, that every gift in this congregation, every gift the gifts of pastoring, the gifts of encouragement, the gifts of helps, the gifts of giving, the gifts of teaching, all of the gifts that God gives through all of the different gifted people that he brings into this assembly. These gifts, including this church's pastors, are works of the one good shepherd who is taking care of his flock. The good news is, ultimately... Our spiritual care rests not in mere men, but in the Lord Himself, who is the great shepherd of His sheep. He shepherds us through imperfect men that He chooses and He puts and places in the church and uses. But it's the Lord Jesus Himself who gives these gracious gifts and how good it is to know that we are in His hands. Amen. Ultimately, I want to remind you never to put your eyes and your hope and your ultimate trust for your spiritual well-being in any person, in any other human being, even in any pastor. Though hopefully you will have pastors who love you and who genuinely and carefully preach to you the word of God. But ultimately, your hope is in someone who will never, ever let you down. In a shepherd who will be always faithful to his sheep. In the one who said, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. He's our hope. Let's keep our eyes on him every step of the way.